If you turn two places in your Bible, first turn to Proverbs chapter 23, in the other hand, get Genesis chapter 3. Proverbs 23 and Genesis chapter 3. It's good to see everybody out this morning. Even though your new pastor is on vacation, it's a blessing that you still decided to come to church. That's not the case for some churches, and I appreciate you doing that. It makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. Thank you. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 23, first off. Let's start in reading verse number 23. We'll have a jumping off point, and I'm going to try to lay some groundwork, and then we'll, we'll end uh, for the message, we'll settle down in Genesis chapter 3. But here first in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 23, the Bible says, Buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this morning. Thank you for allowing us, Lord, to be in church today. Father, I thank you for all the, that has been done already in this service. Father, I thank you uh, for the, the willingness of your people, Lord, to give and to come and Give their time and their attention. And Father, I ask, Lord, that you'd help us this morning as we open up the Bible, Father, that you'd give us some help, uh, Lord, in the t- days in which we live, the times and the, and the circumstances sometimes we find ourselves in, Lord, we look to this book, Lord, to give us the truth in a world that's full of lies. And so this morning, I pray you'd help us as we open up this Bible, Father, give us the truth, unadulterated, Father, and I pray that you'd step through nothing and do something for somebody here today. Father, wash me in the blood, put a hedge about my mouth that I may not say anything, Lord, that would be harmful or hurtful or not true. Uh, Father, I pray that you lead and guide us in all truth here today. I pray, Father, for all that have come out, Lord, that they would leave better, a little bit better than what they came. I pray that you'd bless the fellowship that's going to happen afterwards. But, Lord, just bless this time of preaching now. Bless our pastor as he's away. God, give him the, the, uh, the, the rest and relaxation that they desperately need. Father, uh, I pray that you just uh, just revive him, Lord, on the physical sense. Lord, just uh, he just works a lot and he's always going. So I pray that you just uh, help him to have a good time of uh, of rest. And God, just be with us back here, Lord, as we stick by the stuff. And I pray you bless your people here this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. Here we see an admonition from the Bible that says to buy the truth. And sell it not. Now, I think that it's not a coincidence that it tells you to buy it because it's been my experience that if you have truth, it's going to cost you something. Truth is not free necessarily, although truth uh, to us sometimes it seems like a commodity that overflows. Uh, If you remember, maybe there was a time in your life where you didn't have the truth. Maybe there was a time in your life where you found yourself uh, underneath the oppression of a false religion. Or maybe you found yourself just wandering after whatever the world flashed in front of you. And you just found yourself going in and out of whatever it is your fleshly desires were. And you realized that there was no truth in that and you wouldn't feel fulfilled in what you were doing in life. And I'll tell you this, uh, sometimes the truth, it costs you something. Some of you, it's cost you family ties. Some of you, it's cost you uh, relationships. Uh, it's cost you uh, time with, uh, with, uh, with different people. And, 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 and it's caused you uh, reputation with folks at work. And you always feel like you're the odd man out. Listen, you're going to stick by the truth. It's going to cost you something in the world we live in today. They don't want the truth. Because guess what? They like lies. 
We're told in the last days that people aren't going to want the truth. They're going to turn their ears away from it. They don't want to hear. They, they want to heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Just tell me something good about me today. We're told in the book of Jeremiah that, they, that these prophets are prophesying lying things to them. And the Bible says that they liked it that way. You know what? I appreciate the truth this morning. I don't know about you, but I know, I know that that book is 100% the truth. I'm glad that I have it. I'm glad I believe it. I'm not messing around with the originals. I'm not trying to look for it in some, uh, uh, in some person or some entity or some establishment. I have it in my lap where I'm at, wherever, what time of day it is. I have the unadulterated truth in my lap at all times. Listen, when it comes to the truth, you have to understand the truth. If it didn't cost you anything, it cost somebody something. The fact that you have a Bible sitting in your lap today is because it cost some people down the road a whole lot. There's men that gave their lives and shed their blood and, and all kinds of horrible, horrible tortures for you to have a book in your lap this morning. You know, the Bible says that the angels will look into it, man. The Bible says that you have a more sure word of prophecy than the Old Testament, folks. And you say, oh, if I could only just have an angel come meet with me like Abraham did, then I would just know for sure you got it better than Abraham had it. You understand? Listen, the Bible tells us that in the last days, knowledge is going to increase. That doesn't mean necessarily a good thing. Because anytime you have an abundance of something, the value of it goes down. You understand that? That's supply and demand. And so if we have more of it, if it's more accessible, we have a tendency to not really think of it as that big of a deal. Folks, we have the truth in such a high, a high commodity. Sometimes we forget how precious it is. Amen. The Bible tells us here to buy the truth and don't sell it. Don't give it up. If you have it, don't be persuaded out of it. If you've got it, get yourself rooted and grounded so you're not blown away with every wind of doctrine. Make sure that you're rooted and grounded in the truth. But when we talk about truth, the truth, the reason it's important is because it's the only thing that combats Lies. Amen. You know what we're told? We're told what truth is. It's not just the book you sit in, have you sitting in your lap. We, we touched a little bit of this in Sunday school. But in John chapter 17, verse 17, the Bible says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. That book is the truth. Amen. We know that that book is the closest thing you have to Jesus Christ on the face of this planet. You know, everybody, it's funny, they say, oh, it's wrong with the world today, and how I can, you know, everybody wants to think that they could fix the world. No, you can't. I don't care, I don't care if, who, if whoever gets in that you want to get in, or whatever, if they just gave you the reins of the country tomorrow and allowed you to implement any policy you wanted to implement, anything that you could possibly do wouldn't change. It wouldn't make it any better. You know that, right? This thing's on a grease skid, man. I don't say that joyfully. But I know what has to take place before we get out of here. <laughs> Amen. And the truth, it falls in the streets. Amen. You know, the Bible tells us that the word of the Lord is pure words. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's purified seven times in fire. It tells us the remedy for Laodicea. You know what it is? It's to get gold that's been tried in the fire. It's a type of the word of God. You know what you could do? You could... 
find the truth and it could help you to, to withstand in the Laodicean church age that you find yourself in. But the reason I say all that stuff this morning is because you have to understand that most of your problems, we, I just want to say this, we blame the devil for a lot. Okay? We blame the devil for a lot. We all have flesh that takes advantage of us. We all have desires in the flesh, and that stuff, it runs us for a loop. And, of course, the desires of the world, you know, it takes us the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, that kind of thing. And I know this, that if we were to get some understanding about why the truth is so important today, it's because the devil is the father of lies. John chapter 8, verse 44 tells it, uh, Jesus Christ is rebuking the Pharisees, and he says, You have your father the devil, and the lust of your father you'll do. He's a murderer from the beginning, and he abode not in the truth. Right? When he speaks, he says, He abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaketh of himself, for he's a liar, and the Bible says he's the father of it. He's the father of lies. You know what? It goes without saying that. The devil loves to mess people up. You know what I've, you know what I've noticed with Christians? We, we can get messed up pretty quick because we don't value the truth. You say, what are you talking about? Go to uh, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. This is a familiar passage. You're all very, very aware of it. But in verse number one, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field with the Lord, uh, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in that day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree to desire to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. What you find is man at his best state. <laughs> man in perfect harmony between him and God, Right? And there's no problems, there's no issues, there's no sin, there's, no, there's nothing wrong. You know what you find in, in, in Genesis chapter 2? You find that God has a method, He has a method in how He makes a man. You know what you see? Look, look with me, Genesis chapter 2 verse 7, you know what He does? He saves a man. He breathes into his nostril the breath, that's the type of your salvation. In chapter 2, verse 8, you know what he does? He sets a man right where he wants him to be. He gets saved. He puts him right in the middle of the garden. That's where he wants you to be. You know, you get saved. God puts you in a church. He puts you in a place. Why? Because that's where he wants you to be. You know what I tell, I tell anybody all the time? You better figure out where God wants you to be and stay there. Why? Because God set you there. And if you let anything take you out from where God set you, you're in the wrong place. So you figure out where God wants you to be because he's going to set you there. That's what God shows us in here. This is a perfect man. This is how God made him. He saved him. He set him. And you know what he did? He sustained him. You look in verse 9. 
out of the ground, may the Lord God grow every tree that was pleasant in sight and good for food. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save you. I'm going to set you where I want you to be. And I'm going to sustain you while you're there. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to make sure there's plenty of food for you to eat. You know what, folks? If God saved you. You're sitting in this church today. God sets you here. God's putting food on your table spiritually. Week after week after week after week, He will sustain you with what comes out of this pulpit. Amen. He will. Because that's the way God set it up to be. Not only that, but look in verse number 15. God gives them a purpose. That's what we want as individuals, right? We want a purpose for our life. In verse number 15, God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. He gave him a purpose to give him some fulfillment. He wasn't just a bump on a log. Sometimes we think we have no value. God says, no, even if it's just tending to this garden, I think it's a big deal. And we know that that garden is a type of your life. He wants you to, he want, he, you have a purpose. It's to bring glory to Jesus Christ in your life. Verse number 16 and 17, you know what God does? He gives them the proper parameters. Because guess what? You can't, God can't make you if you can't stay within the boundaries. Right? He gives you a purpose and then He gives you the parameters. He says, listen, you can have anything you want except for this one thing. And you, you have perfect liberty within these confines. And you know what we do? <laughs> we complain about the confines. See, the, the, the world tells you that everything should be available to you whenever you want it. And God says, listen, you can have everything. Just, just not that. Just stay away from that. Right? He gives, you the, he gives you the parameters to work within. And then you know what he does? He gives him a partner in verse number 18. He says it's not good for man to be alone. He gives him companionship. He gives him what it feels like to love someone unconditionally. It's, it's one thing to have a relationship between you and God. And then the Bible tells you when you find a wife, you find a good thing and obtain a favor of the Lord. And so what does he do? He, he, he gives them a union between a, a, a woman and him and that, and that fulfillment and that, and that uh, relationship that's developed between those two. God said, it's not good for you to be alone. I'm going to give you some companionship. I'm going to give you a partner. And God has made Adam perfectly. He set him up. He did his thing. And you know what it produced? Look in the last uh, verse of the chapter. It says, and they were both naked and the man and the wife, and they were not ashamed. It produced purity. When God made the man, he saved him, he set him, he sustained him. He gave him a purpose. He, listen, he gave him the parameters. He gave him a partner, and it produced purity, and it was right. But just as God has a method to make a man, don't you know the devil has a method to mess him up? <laughs> the devil has a method just to absolutely wreak havoc on a man that's trying to do right. He's right where God wants him to be. He's trying to, uh, he's trying to do right by his wife. He's doing exactly what God wants him to do. He's done everything. And the devil, I don't like that. I don't like it. And Satan is subtle, the Bible says in chapter 3, verse 1. He doesn't just, he doesn't just come at you uh, head on. He comes at a different angle. Amen? You know, it's just like what Balaam did. You ever read over there with Balaam? Balaam has got Balak, and he's talking to Balak, and Balak says, you need to curse these people. He says, I can't curse them. I ain't going to curse them. I can't curse them. These are God's people. And so he starts preaching. 
And in the subliminal messages, he's telling them exactly how to get them. He didn't just come out. He didn't just come out and say, "Hey, if you can get them to commit fornication with the Moabite women, you can get God to to, to go against them as a nation because they perverted themselves with the heathen." He didn't come out and tell them that. You know what he did? He preached a flowery sermon and just threw those little things in there. And Balak was like, "Heard you loud and clear, man. <laughs> Heard you loud and clear." And you know what ends up happening? They, he, they, put that, they put that stumbling block, Revelation chapter 2. He says that Balaam, the sin of Balaam, he says he put a stumbling block in front of the eyes of the children of Israel and caused them to commit fornication and adultery and ruined them and made God curse them. That's how the devil works. It's subtly. It's sleight of hand. It's in a flowery sermon. It's behind a suit and tie. It's not necessarily somebody, you know, with a, with a bad reputation in a back alley somewhere. No, it's the guy that's shaking your hand and has a big smile on his face. That's how the devil shows up. Subtly. The devil is enraged against God and his glory. And because the devil is enraged against God and his glory, he's envious of man. And he hates his happiness. And if you think for one second, the devil likes a, a Christian just bebopping around, having a good time in the Lord, he doesn't. He doesn't. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that every problem you have in your life is the devil. Again, I don't think I'm that important. Amen. I think I have enough, I think I have enough problems with my flesh and with the world sometimes. The devil's like, well, we can leave him alone because he's having a fit, Right? But I know, listen, there's been some times in my life, especially in the ministry, where I have seen the devil messing with people. I've seen the devil start messing around in a church. I've seen the devil, and it's like, oh, well, I just thought it was miscommunication. I just thought, that's subtlety. And the devil knows how to get in and start messing with something that God's doing and God's using and God's blessing. We're not ignorant of his devices. The devil wanted Adam. And he knew exactly how to get him. And he knows exactly how to get you. You know what he does? He attacks at your point of weakness. You know who he came? He didn't go to Adam directly. He went to his wife. Now, I'm not picking on women this morning. Biblically, the woman's a weaker vessel. And you know what he does? He attacks Adam at his point of weakness. I'm not saying that every man's weakness in here is a woman. I'm just saying that that was Adam's. Right? How is it his weakness? She didn't have this, she, she was weaker in knowledge. Now again, this isn't a public service announcement against women. What I'm saying is, is that she received the commandment of God second hand. You understand that? God gave the commandment to Adam directly. How do you know she wasn't in the know? Look at how she repeated it back to the devil when she was talking to him. She said, the tree which is in the midst of the garden. She didn't even know the name of it. It was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She didn't even know the name of it. And not only that, she said that she couldn't eat of it, nor could she touch it. That was added. You want to know why? Because he was like, I don't even want to explain all this to my wife. I'm just going to say, just stay as far away from that thing as you can, baby. All right? Don't even look at it. (laughs) Just don't go there. She was limited in her knowledge. And the devil saw, I can capitalize on that. And you know, you, know what the Lord, uh, you know what the devil will do? He won't get you where you're strong. He'll get you where you're weak. He'll get you where you're weak. 
You say, how come you guys always talk about reading your Bible, reading your Bible, study your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible? Because the more you're ignorant of the Bible, the more weak spots you have. Amen? The more weak spots you have. She was weaker in strength. Physically, sure. You know what? Sometimes the devil, he'll come at you when you're at your, at your when, you, when, you, when uh, you don't have as much strength as you should. Listen, some of you going through some grieving right now, you know what you are? You're in a position of weakness. You need to be careful because your guard's down. You don't feel like you can defend yourself. Mentally, you can become weak. There's times when you're mentally stronger than others, and the devil knows. He can get in there and start messing things up. She was weaker in knowledge. She was weaker in strength, and she was weaker in her presence of mind. And you say, what is that? She had a good life. I mean, she, she, was, she, she got made in a perfect place. You know, ladies, she never even had to do dishes. She, she didn't have to do nothing, man. She just made, she'd follow Adam around, naming animals. Can you imagine? She pro, the, the, the Bible tells you that the animals came to Adam. Adam's like, just go to Eve, whatever. I'm done with the bunnies and all this stuff. Just go to her. She'll name you. <laughs> she had it good. And sometimes when you have it good, you don't have the presence of mind to know that you're under attack. It caught her completely off guard. See, Adam, he knew, that, he knew that there was something that he needed to be watching out for. Eve didn't have that presence of mind. The devil will attack you at your point of weakness. The devil will attack you when no one's present. You know what would have been real good for Eve? If she just stayed close to the side that she was taken from. And she wouldn't have been so exposed. You say, how does that apply to you? Ephesians 5, chapter, chapter 5, verse 30 tells you that, that you're, a bone, that you're a, of his bone, you're of his flesh. You're a part of his body. And you know what? If you get too far away from Jesus Christ, you've let yourself be exposed. You're by yourself. And the devil's going to come. He's going to start being subtle. He's going to start casting doubt. He's going to start throwing things your way. You know what? The church is also a type of the body of Christ. The universal church uh, is, uh, is the body of Jesus Christ. Then you have the local church, the local body. And you know what? You get too far away from church, you know what you are? You're exposed. You're exposed. You're not where you should be. David learned the lesson the hard way. Wasn't where he was supposed to be out in battle. When king's supposed to go out to battle, he wasn't there. And so he's by himself, he gets himself in trouble. The devil's like, oh, there's a breach. And then you have to understand, he attacks with perfect timing. All the devil has is time, folks. You ever see somebody really mess up their life? I mean, really booger the thing up. You know what? You know why? Because the devil is not in a hurry. He knew that he could time this thing where she was far enough away from her husband, but she was close enough to that tree where she could just look up and she could see it. And he says, she's there right now. And he was able to capitalize at the very same moment. And now when he starts throwing these questions out to her, she's looking at the tree and Adam ain't around. And he says, got her. Got her. Perfect timing. Listen, folks, we're not ignorant of his devices. But I want to show you some things with the devil. 
how the devil actually does it. How does he attack? It's one thing to know when he attacks and, and, and that kind of thing, but how does he attack? Again, he's subtle. And I'm trying to give you some things. I'm going somewhere with this. I hope I'm not belaboring the point here. I'm sure I'm just telling you things you already know. But you understand that in a court hearing or in a trial, you know, you have a, you have a defense attorney, you have a prosecuting attorney. So you have two sides of the story. And, uh, and each lawyer gets a chance to question witnesses or question whoever they want to put to the stand. And then the opposing attorney, they have to sit there and they have to meticulously think and listen to what is being said, the argument that is being presented to try to prove their point. And that's all that they're doing. It's a very organized, structured argument. That's what it is. Okay? And so they're sitting there, and on what you find, if you ever listen to a, a, a trial sometime, I would encourage you to do it if you've never listened to one before. It can be kind of entertaining. But you have somebody, they're asking a bunch of questions. All of a sudden, somebody stands up and says, Objection! Objection! They're challenging what is being said. And they say, objection. And then they have to state the grounds of their objection. They have to tell, why in the world do you object to what is being said? And they have to have uh, proof and they have to have a reason for the objection to be sustained by the judge. And I'm telling you all of this because the devil uses certain tactics. And if you don't know the truth... And if you're not familiar with what the truth is, you won't know when to object because you'll fall for a lie. The reason that we're in a sin-cursed body tonight is because somebody lied. I don't know about you, I don't like being lied to. I want the truth. You know, people say that. They say, I want the truth. Do you really, though? Do you really want the truth? You realize if, if you ever went to somebody and say, just give me the unadulterated truth. Tell me the truth. You, as, as, the, as the old, you couldn't handle the truth. You ever have somebody just give you the truth? It's a rough one. You know what? One of the objections that you can do in a courtroom, you say, objection, Your Honor, leading. That's a leading statement. You say, what does that mean? It means putting words in one's mouth. Or suggesting, that the, suggesting the answer that you're looking for. Look with me, if you will, here in verse number 1. The devil comes and say, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. What he's doing is he's asking a clarifying question. He's leading her. He knows the answer to the question, but he wants her to give him an answer. And so he leads her. He says, Hey, is this what God said? And he says, uh, he says, ye, uh, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. That's preposterous. That's, of course, not what God said. God didn't say that they couldn't eat any tree in the garden. The devil knew that. So he asked her a leading question to get the answer out of her that he wanted to get. It's just like someone saying, if you're on the stand, he says, uh, uh, how fast did the defendant appear to be going? That's because you know what you know what the you know what the radar me, uh, reading was, and if you give an answer that's way out of bounds, they can discredit you because you have no idea how fast he was actually going. He's leading you. How about this one? You can say uh, you traveled to New York um, on this date, didn't you? All the while, you know in the background, you've got the travel records and all this different stuff. And if they give you the wrong date, you can throw out everything. You can discredit the witness. 
and you can put them in the hot seat. What is that? That's a leading question. You know, I, a man said one time that the, the divine law cannot be reproached unless it is first misrepresented. And so what does he do? He comes to her and he says, hey, isn't this what God said? He says, you can't eat half of anything. He makes a, a bizarre, bogus statement as if to, to focus on the one infinitesimal thing out of the entire garden that they couldn't do. He honed in on it and he worded the question in such a way that it's like, what do you mean? I can't eat anything? It's like, no, you have all these trees here you can eat from except for that one. With a condescending tone, he says, oh, you know, you just can't have fun. You can't let down. You can't let loose. You can't. And he starts leading her with a question. You know what another thing you can do? Hearsay. Objection, Your Honor. Hearsay. Look with me, uh, if you will, down in uh, a verse, uh, verse number 4. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. She answers verbatim and tells him exactly what is uh, supposed to be said. Obviously adds uh, the fact that she shouldn't touch it. That was in there from, from Adam just uh, giving her uh, a little bit uh, more of the instruction just to keep her safe. But you know what hearsay is? It's information that's received from other people that cannot be adequately substantiated. It's a rumor. There's no basis for that. It could be an outright lie because there's no proof that it's true. And you know what the devil does in verse number 4? He says, ye shall not surely die. That's directly against what God said. 100% against it. Had nothing to do with what God said. There was, no, there was no factual basis for him saying that. You know, it's funny because hearsay uh, is, is, a, is a big deal. Because that messes with judgment. If you think about, uh, you don't have to turn there, but in Isaiah chapter 11, verse number 3, I know that when it talks about the branch, there's going to there's be a root out of Jesse. There's a branch that comes and it's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it makes this statement in verse 11. It says that, uh, excuse me, in verse number 3, it says, He shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. You can't go on just what you see and you can't just go on what you hear. Sometimes you have to be a little bit more, uh, you have to be a little more inquisitive. Hey, what's the proof? Because my husband, who I was made from, told me, and I see him walking with God in the garden in the cool of the day, he told me that I shall surely die. So why in the world should I listen to you? There's no evidence for what you're telling me. You know, there's a great example of this over in Joshua. Uh, Joshua is getting old and, and uh, it, it, they have conquered all the land. They've taken it over. And now, remember, on the other side of Jordan, that, uh, that Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they decided to settle on the other side of Jordan. And they made a deal with the rest of the children of Israel. And they said, listen, you need to cross over with us until the fighting is done. And then when everything's won, you guys can go back over to your settlement over there. And they made a deal, and, and the Bible tells us over there in uh, Joshua chapter 22 that they fulfilled their responsibilities, and they relieved them of their duty. They saluted one another, and they went back over into the, towards the land in which they were settled on the other side of Jordan. And when they got to the banks of Jordan, they decided to build an altar. They decided to build an altar. 
And the funny thing is, is that in verse number 11 of Joshua chapter 22, the Bible says that the children of Israel heard say that they built an altar. And you know what the children of Israel did? They gathered their armies together as if they were going to overtake their brethren. You want to know why? Hearsay. Hearsay. I just heard through the grapevine that you're doing something. And so with this little bit of information that I've been given that has no merit, that has no substantiation of evidence, I am now going to formulate a plan of attack and I'm going to get ready to destroy my brethren because I have now concocted a story in my mind based on hearsay. What is that? That's how the devil messes with you. That's a lie. It's deception. Which leads me to the last thing. Look down there in uh, verse number 5. You know what he starts doing in verse number 5? Look at the verse. He says, and God, God does this, and God, and you know what he starts doing? He starts telling Eve, God didn't really mean that. God meant this. And he starts telling her this elaborate story. You know another thing you can do when you object? When you hear somebody say something like that? You can say, objection, your honor, objection. Speculation. Speculation. That is just a story that you told yourself. There's no merit to it. it it's just, it's just uh, basically you formulating some kind of argument in your own mind. It's a forming of a theory from no evidence. For God, he, he knows. And so you can go and you take these things and you start telling yourself a story. And that snowball starts to go. And the snowball starts to go. And it starts to go. You say, what is the devil doing? Boy, he's slick. He's slick. You know the tragedy of this thing? Is that by verse 6... You know what he's allowed? You know what he's accomplished with Eve? Is she's now laser focused on the one thing in the entire garden that she can't have and is completely blind to everything that she does have. Completely blind. She can't see it. She's so fixated on what she's heard. She's so fixated on the, on the speculative statements. And she's so fixated on the hearsay. And everything. She's been completely bamboozled. And now she can't see uh, the forest in spite of the trees. She has complete liberty. But she's focused on that one thing. You know, I've seen a lot of Christians like that. Listen, folks, we're supposed to be the bastions of truth. We're supposed to be the ones that check it out. But you know what I found? A lot of times, we tend to be the ones that run around half-cocked, just looking for a reason to blow up. You say, how in the world, how in the world does the devil take a perfect situation and get them from a perfect place to where they're getting pushed and banished out of a garden and literally forcefully held back 
with threat of physical violence and death. Three little simple things. The devil didn't even break a sweat. How'd she get there? You want to know how she got there? Lies. Lies. Half-truths, partial truths, doubt. You say, I, I'm, I'm failing to see where you're going with this. This is, the, this is how the, the devil destroyed a perfect situation. This is how the devil will destroy you. This is how the devil will take you from where you're supposed to be and put you where God never intended you to be. This is, the, this is how he does it. You say, what does it produce? What does it cause? It will cause discord among the brethren. And can I tell you this? That's something that God hates. God hates when you're chiding one with another. But you want to know what will happen? Somebody will say something. Just, hey, I heard that so-and-so said such-and-such. And instead of saying, objection! That's hearsay. Where's the evidence? Bring the person to the bench so that we can call a witness and we can question them for ourselves. Where's the representation of the person who said that? It's just like them coming up to Jesus and saying, here's this woman taken in the very act of adultery. And he doesn't even pay him any mind. Why not? Because he knew the law. And he knew that if they were both, if she was caught in the act of adultery, it takes two to tango. And how come there's only one in front of me? And he says, I'm not the one that goes around messing with half-truths. You know what this kind of stuff will do? It'll cause divisions. It'll cause discord among the brethren. You know what we do, folks? We tell, we, we tell ourselves stories. You ever done that? You, get, you, just, you know what the devil loves to do? He loves to give you a little bit of information. It's like, it's like water in a water hose. You take the water, you turn the spigot on, you got a hose that's all laid out across the, across the grass. It's got about nine different kinks in it, right? And you have to go down through that hose and get all the kinks out. Well, let's just say that that's bad information, and that's going through that hose. And you know what? That kink, the first kink, it hits you, and that, and that information comes to you, and now you have to make a decision. Do I allow this to continue to flow on from me to the next kink, or do it, does it stop with me? You know what so many times we do? We allow that information, that partial information, that speculation, that hearsay, right? We know what we allow. We just say, send that sucker down the line, man. Let's just keep this thing going. Let's just destroy. Let's just allow it to continue. Instead of saying no, it stops here because there's no basis of truth to what is being said. You know what happened? It caused all kinds of discord amongst the brethren. You want to see a church bust up? That's how it'll bust up. Folks, you realize, you look around and it seems like the church is growing. There's quite a few people in here. We got people missing. There's folks cooking and stuff like that. We got our church, God's putting people in our church. I praise God for it. I, I praise the Lord for it. But the more that you bring in, the more problems want to come. Amen. You know what you're going to have to be careful of? 
allowing discord to get sown amongst the brethren. Why? Because the devil boy, he's subtle. He knows how to do it. And he'll get you. You know what else it'll do? It'll cause a disaster in your home. It will cause a disaster in your home. If you don't know how to use the truth to object to the lies and the uh, tactics of the devil, you will blow your home apart. Ladies and gentlemen, children here today, because you're going, to find, you're going to see things in your husband. You're going to see things in your wife. Kids are going to see things in your parents. Parents are going to see things in your kids. And if you're constantly allowing those things to come in and run around and just blow up with every little thing that comes around, you're going to destroy your family. You'll destroy your family. Your kids will resent you. You'll resent your kids. You will have a, 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 you'll, have a you'll, you'll live in the same house with your, with your spouse and you'll be further apart than you've ever been. Because you allow the devil to come in and just start asking some leading questions. Why do you suppose he said that? Why does she say it that way? You know what he's doing? He's leading you. And then he goes from leading you to saying, yeah, he's changed. He's changed. She's changed. Something's going on. How come I don't know? What's, what's that? And then it'll turn into, oh, well, maybe this is what caused it. And, oh, this, that. And then now you start telling yourself, and you've, and you've told yourself, every reason why your kid is a certain way, why your parents are this. And you know what? Now you're in toxic waste. And your home will be blown apart. It's horrible. I've seen destroy families. You know what else it'll do? It'll cause discouragement in yourself. The devil will come in and say, you know you're never gonna get you're never gonna get it. You know you know how wicked you are, right? You know you know that you've asked forgiveness for this before. Hey, you know you could be doing more, don't you? You know what sometimes we do? We just allow the devil to talk. You wanna know what a, the, the worst lawyer you could have? It's one that never objects when those kinds of questions are brought up. They just allow them to constantly fill the jury's ears and the jury's head with falsified information. The minute those things come into our head, it should be, Objection! That's a lie! That's not true! If I first be a willing mind, it doesn't matter what a man has. No matter what, what he's just willing to do for the Lord. And if the Lord wants him to do it, then he'll put it in his path. So no, I could be doing. No, no, I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do. Why? Because I know what the Bible says, the truth. Objection. That's not true. How come, how come the pastor doesn't shake my hand? How come the pastor didn't say something to me? How come so-and-so walked past me? Objection. That's leading. You're trying to get me to be mad at that person. That's not true. We don't, we don't object. We don't object. And we allow messes to get bigger. 
And so you walk around and there's issues with brethren, there's issues in family, and there's issues in your own head. Listen, young people, I watched y'all at the funeral the other day and my heart bled for you. I'm sorry that y'all are having to go through that. I really am. But you know what's going to happen? In the private of your bedchamber, the devil, he's going to come in and say, why do you suppose God let that happen? Why do you suppose, why do you suppose God let that happen to such a young man? You know what you better learn to do? Objection. Objection, that's leading. You know, Lord, he didn't really care about him. Objection. Speculation. There's no evidence for that. My Bible tells me the other, the opposite is true. Folks, we have to understand that when we allow our emotions to dictate our responses to those questions, we set ourselves up for failure. We have to be those that divorce ourselves to a certain extent from our emotional reaction and deal in the realm of truth. That's why we're Bible believers. That's why we have a book. We stand with a book. Why? Because it tells us how we should respond. It tells us where our standing is with Christ. It tells us what God's expectations are for our life. It tells us, it guides us, it leads us. And if it doesn't match that book, objection. How do you suppose the Lord got through his temptation with the devil? Objection. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God shall a man live. Objection. You know what, Christians, you better get better, you better get better at objecting. You know what happens sometimes? You know, where, you know where Eve messed up? She engaged in the conversation. She engaged in the conversation. The moment he made a false statement, it, and the minute that he said, God, you ain't gonna surely die, it should have been over. It was over at that point. No, because my authority tells me that I will surely die. And I don't know you. I don't know why you're talking like that. But I know what my authority and the man that loves me and the God that put him over me, I know what he said. And I believe that, not you. We all allow it to happen. Some of you here are messing with it right now. You're all, Listen. That's, that's human nature. You think the devil don't know how to mess with humans after 6,000 years of history? You know what? Some of you, undoubtedly, you've allowed some of that stuff to creep in. It's affected, your, it's affected your marriages. It's affected your relationship with your kids. It's affected your relationship with some people in here. And you know what? It affects your relationship with the Lord in your personal life because you're so stinking hard on yourself because every time you get by yourself, the devil's constantly pinging on you and beating the snot out of you and you don't have enough sense to say, objection, that's not true because you believe every negative thing about yourself. 
How about the fact that you're accepted in the beloved? How about the fact that you're, listen, the fact that your sins are gone and they're far as from the east is from the west? How about the past is in the past? How come you can't forgive yourself? It's because you're not objecting. You have to stand in the truth. Those things about yourself are not true. So stop living like they are. How do I get out of it? You know, I love the Bible. I love the Bible. Because they messed up. And boy, great was the cost. They gave place to the devil. And the devil wreaked havoc. And we've been the recipients of that havoc for over 2,000 years. But you want to know something? Take your Bibles and just go to the end of the chapter. Look in verse 21. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. He gives them the curse. He gives them the repercussions of all the stuff that they allowed because they gave place to the devil. Great was the cost of it, all that different stuff. And you know what the Lord says? You can still get it fixed. You want to know why? Because I'm going to take a lamb and I'm going to kill that lamb. And I'm going to give you some skin to cover yourselves up so that the shame of your nakedness is covered. And you know what the Bible tells us? That Jesus is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. And the Bible tells us that Jesus, oh, this is probably just coincidence, is the way, the truth, and the life. You say, how do you combat falsehoods? How do you fix falsehoods? You fix them with the truth. You fix them with the truth. Can I say this? The Bible tells you that if you can be you can be ensnared at the devil at his will. You know how you get out of it? The Bible says by the acknowledging of the truth. So let me ask you this morning. Do you want the truth? Do you seek the truth? Or do you just want to continue to flounder in falsehoods? Allow the devil to have an advantage of you in your home. Allow the devil to have an advantage of you with, with people that are supposed to be closer to you than you, even your blood. The brethren. I'm closer to you folks in here than I am my own blood relatives. You understand that? Amen. I've put my family on the back burner for years because the church has been more important. And this is what God has me doing. And you can be at odds with people. Why? Falsehoods. You want to acknowledge the truth this morning? Can I tell you? The truth is hard. The truth is hard. In the truth, guess what? It hurts. Because what happens when the problem is with you? You allowed the breach. You allowed the falsehood. You didn't object. You allowed the discord to come in. You have been super critical. You have allowed things in your life that should not be there. And guess what? When somebody sticks their finger in your face and tells you that the problem is you, it stinks. It stinks and it hurts. I remember I got myself into a mess of trouble. I thought I was done in the ministry. I thought I was gone. I thought my ship had sailed. 
I had a preacher stick his finger in my face and said, the problem is you. You're a mess. You've allowed this to happen. You have treated your family in such a way. You're a bad leader. You are, you are a spiritual midget. And I said, oh, it's like someone tore my stinking guts out. And I said, you know what? You're right. And though the truth may be hard, and though the truth may hurt, the truth will always help you. The Bible says, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You know what some of you are doing right now in your Christian life? You're in shackles. Shackles of falsehood, half-truths, hearsay, speculation, leading. And you're laying in those chains, and and the Lord says, you got the truth, man. Just get up and get out of there. Come acknowledge the truth. Say, I'm sick of this. Lord, help me to fix this stuff. Lord, get the blood of Jesus Christ on this thing. I will acknowledge the truth. You can't control how other people deal with the truth. You can only control how you deal with the truth. If you made a mess, you know what you do? You clean up your mess. Well, what if so-and-so doesn't clean it up? It doesn't matter what so-and-so does. It matters what you do. Amen? That's Christianity, folks. You know, if we don't do this, if we don't practice this, the devil is going to constantly have a breach in our lives. He'll have a breach in our church. He'll have a breach in your home. He'll have a breach in your mind. So where are you at this morning? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be in church today. Father, I ask, Lord, that you would help the folks that are here this morning. I know, Lord, there's food to be had. Lord, there's some fellowship to be had, but Lord, I pray that possibly we do business with you this morning. Father, the devil is relentless in his efforts to deceive us. And Father, I'm not talking about fleshly problems this morning, God. I'm I'm talking about deception from the devil to get us to think a certain way about ourselves, about other people. That's just not true. Father, help us to acknowledge the truth this morning. That we may not be in the snare of the devil, but rather be walking in liberty and realize, Lord, that whatever restrictions you put on us, Father, you've allowed us greater liberty than any restriction we could ever point out. I'm going to have Miss Amy play on the piano this morning. We'll just take some time to pray. Say, Brother Joe, how do I know what's truth and what's not? You got to stay in that book. You got to keep coming to church. You learn it over time, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. When issues arise, be slow to speak, slow to wrath. The Bible says, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Take some spiritual discipline.
Quit letting the devil lie to you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for letting us be in church this morning. Father, I pray, Lord, that uh, what was given out, Father, would be of help and a benefit to those that came this morning. Father, help us, Lord, to Lord, not give place to the devil, not for a moment. Father, help us, Lord, to be quick to object on the grounds of the truth. Amen. Father, I ask, Lord, that you'd be with those that have come up here and prayed. And Lord, there's breaches in their lives. God, I pray you'd help them, repair them. The truth, Lord, is the, is, the, is the thing that will help. So I pray you give it to them this morning. Father, I pray you bless the food, Lord, that we're about to partake in the fellowship, Lord. Thank you, uh, Lord, for all that, are, that have uh, helped prepare it and, and organize it. Father, I pray you just give them a special blessing. Uh, Father, I pray you bless the, uh, the activities of this afternoon. But, Lord, help us to continue to think on these things, Lord, that you show us here this morning. We pray you bless now and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.